Let me go ahead and say happy Sabbath to everyone. It's a pleasure to see you all again, and I'm very grateful for this time that we have together to study God's wonderful words of life. And I know the Lord has something special in store for us, so I would like to go ahead and encourage us to be prayerful and consider what will be shared. Um, I want to encourage you all to take good notes. Uh, if you want, you can take your phones out, take pictures, that's fine. But in all things, I want us to really search our own hearts as we go through the word. Because if there's one thing that I have truly learned, and it has been the mantra of uh, my ministry for many, many years, and that is that a gospel that is not practical is a worthless gospel. It is imperative that what we hear, we can not only understand, but that we can say, Lord, how can you let this have a sanctifying effect on my life? For me as a man, how does this affect me as a man? How does this affect me as a father? How does this affect me as a husband? How does this affect me as a co-worker with others? And the list goes on. And you can do the same thing as it relates to the various spheres of your life. But I believe that if we receive what we're going to study today, the Lord will bless us way beyond our expectations. And so let us go ahead and have a word of prayer. I'm going to do that upon my knees. I'd like to invite you, if you're able to, to kneel with me. If you can't kneel, just bow your heads reverently where you are. But let's all prepare to receive the word at this time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, dear God, for once again allowing us this privilege and this opportunity to hear your words. I pray that you would please grant us your Holy Spirit. May he enlighten our minds, Lord, and enable us to not only hear, but to follow, to obey that which you speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll also make it plain, so simple that even a little boy, a little girl can follow, let alone the older individuals in the room. And I pray in the end, may our hearts be more united with you, and as a result of that, we will be united one with another. Bless us to this end, we pray, and we ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I consider Jesus, I'm realizing more and more every day that the, the, the things that Christ has said to us, they are for our counsels. But I want us to go to the book of James chapter 1. And I just really want us to consider this. And what you will find today is I believe that this, the message today is very simple. Very simple. But it's very profound when it is followed. It is very impactful. And the Bible says in the book of James, we're considering chapter 1. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right? Sounds like we need a few more. James 1. And this is really important when we think about the church. When we think about those of us who come to church on a regular basis, it is really important that we consider James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 22. James 1 and verse 22. And here's what the Bible says. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The Bible encourages us, be a doer of the word. Don't just hear it. Don't just know it. Do it. The blessing is in the doing. It's not just in the hearing. It's in the doing. 
And if there's one thing that Jesus gave to us that was designed to be an absolute blessing to us was a counsel that he demonstrated when he was in the mountain of temptation with the devil. And it was found in Matthew chapter 4, and I want you to turn there with me. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, there was a time that Jesus entered into the wilderness led by the Spirit, which I always thought was an interesting point. We often don't think the Spirit of God will lead us into places where we'll be tempted, but here it is that the Bible says exactly that in Matthew chapter 4. And the Bible says in Matthew 4, we're going to start at verse 1, and then we're going to take it down. Matthew, we're looking at chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The Bible says in Matthew 4 and verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And I love Jesus' answer. Because Jesus' answer was not merely an answer. It was exemplary. He said in verse 4, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by how much? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This was designed to be a blessing to us. What Jesus just said is the hardest way to live, but it's the most rewarding way to live. And I'll tell you the truth, the one, the, the one thing that it never ceases to amaze me about how excellent an example Jesus was to us. The reason Jesus Christ was an excellent example to you and an excellent example to me is because he never ever tells us to do something that he has not done it first. It's like he paves the way, he prepares the path. And this is why it's so important to understand the nature of Christ, because if we believe that he walked on this earth as the Superman, then he's no longer your example. And he's no longer my example. Because I can't do what Jesus did. If when Jesus walked on this earth, he was merely divine, guess what? He's not an example to you and I, because I'm certainly not divine, and I don't think you are either. When Jesus came to this earth, he came to this earth. Jesus was born in this world like we are born again. Let me repeat that. And you check me on the word of God. Jesus was born in this world like we are when we're born again. You see, when we're born, all we have is a sinful nature. And guess what? You're going to do what the sinful nature wants to do. If you and I have no other power source, we're going to do what the sinful nature wants to do. I remember when Jesus was talking to a bunch of Jewish people that were not born again. And they were claiming Abraham as their father. And when they claimed Abraham as their father, Jesus got to a point that he said, you know what, I'm going to tell you who your father is. And he said to them in John 8 and verse 44, he said, you are of your father, the devil. But then here's the part that he said, the lusts of your father, you will do. 
You got to think about that for a second. They were not born again yet. They rejected the Messiah who was right there in front of their face, ready to bless, ready to heal. But because they were constantly rejecting him, they had no power to resist the calls of Satan. So you are of your father, the devil, and whatever Satan wants you to do, you're going to do it because no human being can resist the devil unless something else takes place first. Go to James chapter four. Let me show you. In James, the first, the fourth chapter, no one can resist the devil unless something takes place first. God is such a God of order, and I love it. The Bible says in the book of James, we're considering chapter four. It's not that we don't have power to resist the devil. It's just that we have to understand the connecting source. And the Bible spells it out crystal clear in James chapter four. And notice what it says right there in verse seven. It says in James 4 and verse 7, it says, do what? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, then finish the verse. Resist the devil, he will flee. No one can resist the devil if they have not first submitted to God. It's impossible. Do you understand that Satan is over 6,000 years old? Do you understand that he has studied not only our lives, he studied our parents. He studied our parents' parents. He studied our parents' parents' parents. I mean, he knows the natural dispositions that you and I have. We are absolutely no match for the enemy. Absolutely none. Any man or any woman thinks I could beat the devil out of might. I remember one time I used to watch, um, I used to watch these, uh, you know, safari programs, animal programs. I used to get pretty amazed by it. And I remember one time I was looking at the cheetah because I was smart enough to know I can't beat a lion. But I looked at a cheetah and to me, cheetahs, I was like, I know why they're fast. They're so skinny. And I was like, they're so skinny and they're so tiny. So whenever they're running, of course they're fast. And so I thought all this time in my mind, I could beat a cheetah. I can't beat a lion, but I could beat a cheetah. If me and a cheetah had to wrestle for my life, that cheetah's going down. And I remember thinking this in my mind until one day I got a mission call to Africa. And then when I got on there, I said, man, I can't wait. I said, I'm going to the motherland. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I mean, a young black man going to Africa, that was like gold. I was like, oh, my word, I'm going to go ahead and study my history and learn all sorts of stuff. So when I landed, they said, all right, we're going to go ahead and put you on one of our safari trails. They called it a sanctuary. And I said, OK, great, let's go. I said, what we're going to see? Oh, we're going to see lions, hyenas, cheetahs. I said, oh, we're going to see the cheetah? I said, okay, I want to go. So I'm going on. And it was amazing because when I'm, on, I'm in this car and you dare not roll down those windows, it is not all nice and secured like we do it here in America where there's this big gap and, you know, this precipice that the lion would fall in. It. You know, no way the lion could get you. It's like if you roll down the window, that lion can stick his head right through that window and do whatever he wants to do or stick his paw in. I mean, you're right there next to the animals. So I'm looking at the lions and I was like, wow, they are a lot bigger than I thought. In other words, television gives no justice to these things. And then I remember that I'm looking, I said, oh, the lions are huge. And then I saw the hyena. Oh, my brother. I remember studying the hyena, and it said that it had jaws that are so powerful that it could crush bone. When I saw a hyena, like, almost face to face, I saw how big their heads were. 
And I was like, man, television is just flat out deceptive. Because I'm like, these animals are gigantic. So of course, what did I want to see next? I said, I want to see the cheetah. When I saw this feline walking towards the car elegantly and just going paw by paw, step by step, and I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I said, is that a cheetah? Is that a special kind of cheetah? And they was like, nope, that's a regular cheetah. And I was like, cheetahs are gigantic. I can't beat that thing. And you know, because I, I, mean, I mean, I wasn't going to jump out the car and fight it, but I'm just saying, in my mind, I was just, it's amazing how the mind can deceive us. You think you can fight something and overtake it until you come face to face with it. And once I saw that cheetah face to face, away with the thought that I could beat a cheetah hand by hand. I said, unless I'm given the power of Samson, I cannot beat a cheetah hand in hand to hand combat or hand to paw combat. But brothers and sisters, it is the same thing with the devil. There is no way under the sun that we're going to look and read and hear about Satan and think that we can just outwit him and outsmart him and beat him with our own natural wit and our own natural abilities. It's not going to happen. The only way that we can beat the devil family is we must first submit ourselves, therefore, to God. And then we can resist the devil. And the best news in the world, he'll actually leave us. He will actually flee from us. And so it is that Jesus wants us to understand there is no way of our natural wit or our natural might that we're going to be able to overcome him. So therefore, when we look at the weaponry of Christ, when we look at when he went into the battle, you see, we can only overcome one way, this enemy force of ours. Go to Revelation chapter 3. There's only one way that we can overcome this enemy, and I understand you're saying, I didn't pick a fight with anybody. Well, it doesn't matter because he's picking a fight with you. He has made it very clear and he is determined to fight against us and to keep us from getting our eternal inheritance. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 that as a result of being in this war, there's only one way to overcome. And it's right there in verse 21. In Revelation chapter 3, right there in verse 21, the Bible says it beautifully. It says, to him that what? To him that overcometh. Watch this. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. What's the next two words? Even as, or just as I overcame. Are you following? Even as I also overcame and am set down at his throne. So family, there's only one way for us to overcome the devil, it's as Christ overcame him. And when we read Matthew chapter 4, we read very, very clearly how he overcame. Jesus had ingrained in his heart, it is written. And that was not something he just told us to do, he told himself to do it. You see, Again, the thing I love most about Jesus is that he never calls us to do something that he has not done first. So the question is, did Jesus ever submit himself to the word? Go to John chapter 6. Jesus said, I want you to learn how to live by the word. Jesus says, learn how to live by it. Your greatest blessings, your greatest joys, your greatest happiness will come when we learn to live 
by the word. Conduct literally our lifestyle by the word of God. I took this challenge on. I took this challenge on from many years ago and I realized that it singles you out. To a lot of people, it will be annoying. But I've also found that it's the greatest reward that God has ever given to humanity is to look to the word of God to conduct the lifestyle. Your choices are based on what the word of God says. And I want you to watch this. And please understand, I'm not saying I do it perfectly. Surely I fail many a times, more than I desire to admit. But that doesn't keep me from trying. If I fall down, I get back up again and I keep it moving. And you need to do the same, family. You cannot fall down and dwell on the fact that you fell. I meet so many people that do that. They fall and they say, oh, look at me, I'm on the ground. I can't believe I fell. It's like, I understand, but get up. Take up your mat, start walking again. Don't stay on the ground in discouragement. If you fell, God has a formula. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get back up and keep moving. Don't stay focused on failure. Stay focused on the one who lifts us above our failures. Well, here it is that when we look at John chapter 6, verse 57, notice what the Bible says. John chapter 6 and verse 57. Remember, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now watch this. Did Jesus follow his own counsel? John chapter 6. It says in John 6 and verse 57, it says, as the living Father hath sent me, and I do something. What did Jesus say he does? He says, I live by the Father. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So notice, Jesus says, when I walked on this earth, I lived by the Father. But what exactly from the Father? John chapter 8. In John the 8th chapter, now let's go to verse 28. John, we're looking at chapter 8, and now we're considering verse 28 because Jesus is making it clear, I live by the Father. What exactly is it about the Father that he's living by? John chapter 8 and verse 28. The Bible says in John the 8th chapter, and we're considering the 28th verse, when you get there, please say amen. All right. In John 8 and verse 28 now, notice what Jesus says here. He says, then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he and that I do how many things? I do nothing of myself, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. So did Jesus live by every word that came from his father? Yes, did he inject, watch this, did he inject some of his own words? When it came to how he lived, did he inject at any time living by some of his own words? No, you just read that in the verse. He says, I do nothing of myself. I just told you, this is the most rewarding life to live, but it's gonna single you out. It's gonna make you very different. You will be thoroughly blessed but you will notice that a lot of people don't do this, even in the church. But this is the most blessed way to live because last I checked, everything Jesus does for us is designed that his joy might remain in us and our joys will be full, full, 
fold, brothers and sisters. So when he says, live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of my father, out of the mouth of God, he's literally encouraging us, the more that you conduct your lifestyle according to my words, this is where you will find your greatest joys. In fact, there are benefits of studying and living by the word. Did you know that? Let me give you some examples. Number one, the Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The answer, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. If we have ways in our lives that we want to be cleansed, what's the solution? Take heed to the word of God. Are you following that? There are a lot of people that have done things that made them dirty. There are a lot of things that people have done that have made themselves filthy. There are a lot of things that we have done that has brought us to a place of thorough, absolute shame. And we long for cleansing. We long to be pure again. There are many young ladies that unfortunately gave their virginity to a very unworthy man. And oh, how they wish they could be pure again. Did you know you can? You can be pure again. There are many men that have given themselves to an unworthy woman. And they long that they could be pure again. Did you know you can be pure again? Did you know God can cleanse you? One of the most beautiful things about the story of the gospel is how God can take something dirty and filthy and he can cleanse it and make it pure and clean. And the Bible says, how do we do that? How can a, especially a young man, wherewithal can a young man cleanse his ways? Take heed to the words. Did you see, take heed? It didn't say, hear the word as much as you can. I'm telling you the truth. This is where the curses of our lives come from. We hear, but we don't do. Remember that? God says, you gotta learn to do it. He says, if you do my words, this is where your joy is. This is where your happiness is. This is where your contentment is. This is where your identity is. This is where your significance is. This is where your security is. In my words. Continuing, the Bible also says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? Ah, wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder why there's so much confusion on how we are saved? There's so much confusion on what we must do to be saved and what we must do to maintain our salvation. We got people that are living by salvation by works, which is dry formality and heavy drudgery. It brings burdens upon burdens. We have individuals who give fake smiles and fake happy Sabbaths and the rest, but the truth is we're not smiling in our hearts and we are not happy in our hearts. And God says, listen, I can change all of that. God says, if you really knew how I save people, how I can save you from anything that is do having dominion in your life, God says, you kidding me? God says, you would become wise unto salvation. But how do we do that? The Bible says that from a child, you must know the Holy Scriptures. We have to really know the Word of God for ourselves. And knowing the Word of God does not mean finding a YouTube video of a favorite preacher and listening to them. That's not Bible study, beloved. That is not studying the scriptures. You gotta cut the ministers off and open up the word and let the most important minister teach you. And he will teach you. How about this one? 
Jesus answered and said unto them, now watch this. This is so important. Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err. What's another word for err? You make mistakes. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err, why? Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Do you know the less of scripture we know, the more mistakes we'll make? Did you know that? The less scripture we know, the more mistakes we'll make. So that, the antithesis is also true. The more scripture we know, the less mistakes we'll make. And we will experience the power of God. How about this one? But he said, yea, rather blessed. What's another word for blessed? Happy. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God, but what else do they do after they heard it? And keep it. Do you know, uh, family, so if we hear and keep the words of God, what does God promise that we're going we're gonna to experience? We're going to be more happy. I'm just saying, it's, it, it, I, I marvel at it. Sometimes I sit down in my devotion. My wife will tell you sometimes I sit in my devotions and, and, and she'll hear me laugh or she'll hear me just, <laughs> whew, you know, she'll hear me give these responses. And she'll just be like, what, what, what's going on? What'd you learn? What'd you hear? You know? And then when I'm done, I'll go ahead and go into it. Or sometimes I might go into it right there and just go into a moment of praise and just say, honey, this thing is deep. And then we'll go ahead and talk a little bit. All I'm saying, family, is when Jesus called us, live by my words. He was not just saying that as an arbitrary taskmaster over our lives, trying to make us more miserable. He was trying to make us more happy. You'd be amazed at how many problems in a marriage could be solved, watch this word, quickly. Could be solved how? If only we would take heed to the words of God. And so God is just saying, look, I want you to learn this because, listen, the author of scripture, right? Jesus himself, this is what he said. He said, number one, he said, when you study the Bible, remember this, in John 5, 39, and in Luke 24, 44, Jesus says, remember this, search the scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life, but you must remember they are they which do what? Testify of me. You see, if we can condition our minds to remember that when I'm studying the Bible, I'm learning about Christ. I'm, you know, this is what we are to see. More than just seeing the law, we should see the lawgiver. It's like more than seeing the law. See the lawgiver, see his heart. That's what I look for in a text. When I look into a text, I'm always looking for the practical lesson. You remember that time in John, John chapter 10. And Jesus says, I and my father are one. And then the Bible says they took up stones again, because they already did it before in John 8. They took up stones again, and they're getting ready to stone him and kill him. And he says, for many things I've done, why are you trying to stone me? And then they said, we're not stoning you for all the good things that you've done. We're stoning you because you, being a man, have called yourself God. Now, I thought to myself, I said, you know, I'm a man, that, I'm a man that's very human, right? And, you know, we guys, you know, we have this thing called an ego, you know. Uh, sometimes we work real hard to protect our egos. 
Uh, we usually respond very badly when you wound our egos. And in my mind, I said, boy, Jesus was something else. Because when I read that story, in my mind, I'm thinking, that was very insulting, what they just said. They're saying you have a demon, and they're saying you being a man, you're trying to call yourself God. How dare you? And I'm thinking, first of all, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, first of all, I created you. Secondly, I'm smarter than you. How are you going to try to tell me who I am? I created the very words that you're speaking right now. It's like he, he had options of how he could have responded. So when they go to him and they say, you being a man, make yourself God and you have a demon and all this other stuff. You know what Jesus does in response back? He says, isn't it written in the Psalms that you are God's? And he just literally gives them a verse that they all believe in. And he throws it back at them in complete, total control and patience. And he says, isn't it written in the Psalms that you say you are God? That you are God's? And it's like he just responds. And I'm thinking like, man, Lord, I got to learn how to respond like that. It's like, seriously, when somebody just straight up tries to play you and make you look small and insignificant and insult you to your core of your being, that instead of responding with, what? What'd you say? How could you say that? And all that anger and everything else that normally comes out of us, that we could just respond back in complete self-control and just say, isn't it, didn't you say the other day such and such? Do you know how many arguments could be completely eliminated if we would learn to respond like Jesus did? You see, when you study the Bible, you need to find him. You're looking for his character qualities. That's what we were just going through in my Sabbath school class with my teenagers. I was like, listen, I said, when you read the Bible, I said, I want you to always look for what did I learn about God's character in the reading? What did you learn about God's character? It's important to understand the doctrine. It's, under, it's important to get all of the facts and the data. But what's really important is what did you learn about God's character in that reading? I'm looking at God. People already, imaginations were continually evil. Their, their imaginations were already continually evil. And God says, I'm going to give you 120 years. It was not like their imaginations were getting more and more evil, and therefore I'm going to give you 120 years so we can put an end to this. It was when their imaginations were already continually evil. God says, all right, I'm going to give you 120 years. And I'm looking at him saying, what did I learn from that about God's character? He is extremely long-suffering. You understand that? So now, when I'm in a marriage, or when I'm dealing with my children, or when I'm dealing with others, I must learn, even after repeated offenses, Lord, teach me to be long-suffering like you. You see, this is what Jesus meant when he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but that they which testify of me. When you study the scripture, are you seeing me? And not just intellectually saying, oh, I see Jesus. No, are you seeing the lesson that I'm trying to teach you about what I want you to be? Because Christians should be Christ-like. He said it again in Luke 24, right? He said it right here. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So one of the first benefits that we get of studying the Bible is we get to learn more about our pattern man. The more we study the word of God, we should be looking, Lord, how can I reflect you more? How can I be more like you? And he answers that when we study 
to show ourselves approved unto him. It was Martin Luther that made a powerful statement when it came to his attitude towards the scripture. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it like this. He said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. A simple layman armed with scripture is to be believed above a pope or cardinal without it. Powerful statements. Powerful statements. Then here's what he said next. He said, the holy scriptures require a humble reader who shows reverence and fear toward the word of God and constantly says, teach me, teach me, teach me. The spirit resists the proud. God says, this, this was, you know, you think about people who were mighty warriors. This man went up against the world. What was it that was holding him in place when he was going up against the world? It was the word of God. He stood by it, he lived by it, and he died by it. It was not just Martin Luther, you also had Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon had some powerful things to say about the word of God as well. Notice, he said this, many books in my library are now behind and beneath me. They were good in their way once, and so were the clothes I wore when I was 10 years old. But I have outgrown them. Then he says, nobody, ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Mercy! I, I love these statements. They're so powerful. They're just so powerful. God is saying, that's the power of my word. As we get older, it never gets exhausted. I heard it stated one time, the Bible is inexhaustible. And Spurgeon put it nice. It widens and deepens as our years continue. It was Ellen White that she gave very, very powerful relevance to the power of the word of God. She made a statement by which she said this. She said, the people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. We have two components. We have two opponents. We have false teachers and we have spirits of darkness. It goes on to say, the last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the holy scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. The word of God. Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 5. Notice what, what Isaiah said. Isaiah said a time, and family, if you don't know, we are living in this time right now. Isaiah chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 5. We're considering verse 20. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. We are living in this time right now, family. And this is why we need the word of God. We need it. With all of our heart, we need it. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, we're considering chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good, 
and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are living in those times right now. Today, people live by what they feel and they don't live by faith. People are living by what they want to do rather than what the word of God says. Family, God already knows. I was teaching this last night for our Vesper service. God already knows that our hearts are deceitful. We have a very deceitful heart, family. This stuff you can feel in your core is right and it's wrong. And it's because of this that that's why God gave us his word. Something we can count on, something that is going to last throughout time and eternity. God says, I've given you my word as a gift, as a blessing, to give you a sure path and a sure guide. But today, a lot of people are living by their feelings, and this world has never been in more confusion. As a result of individuals that if I feel it, it is truth, that mindset has created some of the most deplorable conditions of humanity that we're seeing today. Because now, because I feel it, we have to understand that just because you feel it does not mean it's true. Now, I say this very uh, reverently. I say this with uh, respect to this community as far as the individual. I believe all souls are very precious to God. All souls are very precious to God. But I am very hurt by what the LGBTQ plus community is doing to many of families throughout our world today. I'm very hurt by how the media and, 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 and all the way up to the White House and the rest, and, and there's, such a, there's such a protection over this that we have lost our ability for plain reason. And I remember doing a training in Pennsylvania and a mother came to me with a seven-year-old child and the mother said, Brother Lemon, this child, my, my, my daughter, she wants to say something to you. And she said, Mr. Lemon, I believe that I'm a boy. It was a young girl. She says, I believe I'm a boy. I believe I was meant to be a boy, and the reason why is because, you know, I like girls rather than boys. And she began to speak of her confusion. And I, 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 I remember I almost cried right there, but I just had to help hold it back. Because we have celebrities and people today that are, that are celebrating my seven-year-old has figured out what they are. And I'm thinking to myself, since when in Earth's history has a seven-year-old had the capability of determining who they are? And the parents are celebrating and they're big-time, multi-million dollar, in-your-face celebrities. And this is the mass confusion. And the, and the little girl said, what does God say about it? And I sat her down. I said, honey, I said, we're going to look at what the word of God says. I said, do you trust the word of God? Do you believe that God could make a mistake? when? Do you believe God made a mistake when he made you? No. I said, then I want you to see what God says. And we walked her through womanhood. We walked her through what the word of God says. And I said, look, when I was born in this world, brothers and sisters, we, we, we have dispositions when we're born in this world. You see, nobody has a problem saying we're born gay, but if I say if somebody was born a murderer, we have a problem with that. If I say if somebody was born a liar, we have a problem with that. If I say somebody was born a fornicator, we have a problem with that. But we're okay with born gay. 
And what we have to understand is they're all related to the same family. They are manifestations of the sinful nature. And just because somebody's born in this world a certain way or with a certain disposition, praise God, we can be born again. But again, we have to help people with the word. You see, science doesn't have any solutions when we get this deep into it. Science is accommodating this solution. And that's why there's something in the Bible called science falsely so-called. We don't test the Bible by science. We test science by the Bible. The Bible is the unerring word of God. And this is what God is calling people back to. And boy, could it solve a lot of problems in our society today. Do you know that that little girl today is still a little girl? That little girl is a little girl growing up to be a young woman of God. And the word of God cleansed her ways. And God can do it for anybody, brothers and sisters. Again, I, if somebody wants to live any kind of lifestyle, I'll say, listen, that is your choice. But I am not going to stand here like some churches are doing and, and perverting the word of God to accommodate what people want. That is an atrocity. That is a sin of all sins. And that is not a minister that loves their members. But God wants us to understand it. Oh, if the people could learn to live by my words. God says, I can bring about drastic changes in their lives. What we need is we need more faith. And we need more faith in the word of God. And I remember that when I, when I, when I look at this lesson of, of what is faith and how to define it, I want to give us an example. In Matthew 8, 5 through 10, and I'm actually going to put these verses on the screen, but you're welcome to turn to it if you'd like. In Matthew 8, 5 through 10, we, we get one of the most beautiful lessons on faith. And I want to talk about this. The Bible says in Matthew 8 and verse 5, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great what? Faith, no, not in Israel. Now, in case you don't know this, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the Bible says Jesus is the author of faith. So nobody can tell us what faith is better than Jesus. Now, what that man just did, Jesus didn't just call it faith. He called it what? He called it great faith. That's what he did. He called it great faith. So the question is, what did this man say that Jesus said, oh, wow, look at that. That's great faith. You know what he said? It was right here. Speak the word what? Only. Speak the word only. Did he need anything else? No, he trusted the word only. And Jesus took that Gentile and turned him around to his Jewish brethren. And he said, I haven't found such great faith as this. And you often find it was Gentiles that made Jesus marvel. It was often Gentiles that made Jesus, it was, also, it was often the non-Adventists that made Jesus marvel, I'm just saying. That's what the Bible says. Now watch this. 
What then do we understand faith to be? Very simple. Faith is trusting the word of God only that it's going to do everything God said it's going to do. Therefore, we depend upon the word for guidance in all areas of our lives. Brothers and sisters, if we learn to live like this, we would save ourselves from a thousand perils. If we would learn, okay, what are some things that makes up lifestyle? Eating, drinking, dressing. Honestly, how many of us buy our clothing based on what the Word of God says? I'm just saying it's something I want you to start thinking about because my goal is not for you just to hear the message. The goal is to do the message. It's in the doing that you get those benefits that we talked about. How many of us, honestly, before you put whatever you put on your face, before you start putting a bunch of holes everywhere you put it, before you start to adorn yourselves any way you adorn it, did you go to the word of God and say, Lord, what's your attitude on this? What do you say? What does your word say? What do you say? What do you approve of? What do you not? You see, Paul said it like this. It was in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Paul said, what? It was like he was, he was asking in a very deep manner. He says, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And then he said this part right here. And you are not your own. Then he said, why? He said, because you've been bought with a price. Now, if I walked up in your house, I'm just, I'm just asking. If I just walked up in your house, and let's say you say, hey, welcome, Brother Lemon. So glad, you know, you told your whole family, hey, Brother Lemon's here. Let's say you really like me, right? Like, you really like me, and you were happy to have me at your house. And they hear, oh, Brother Lemon's here. And, and you said, Brother Lemon, let me, let me go get, get the food ready for you. And I said, all right, go ahead. And then I'm in your living room, and let's say I saw, like, a nice, you know, emblem, you know, something real pretty and shiny. And let's say I just decided, I said, man, this is pretty. Whew. And I decided to stick it in my pocket. We go ahead and have a meal together, and you're like, man, we're so happy to have Brother Lemon here. And the next thing you know, I go ahead and bid everybody good night, give a blessing. Oh, Lord, bless this home and everything in it. And the next thing you know, I'm like, all right, good night. And then I leave. And you're just happy. Man, we, <laughs> we had the minister of God in our home. And next thing you know, you're looking around, and you're like, uh, children, dear, honey, any of you know where that emblem is? They're like, no, but I know we saw it there before Brother Lemon came. And then next thing you know, you're thinking to yourself, hmm, surely the evangelist did not take my emblem from my house. Surely he would not do such a crazy thing. But your conscience is messing with you, so you know what you got to do. You got to pick up your phone and you got to call me. So you call me up. Hey, Brother Lemon. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. I, I, I just have this question I got to ask you. I'm sure there's an answer to this. But I, we have this emblem that was missing. And uh, I don't know how to do this, Brother Lemon. I'm just going to ask. Did you take it? <laughs> and let's say to you, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. And you were like, why? And I was like, well, 
I really liked it, and I thought about a family that doesn't have one like yours, and I figured they would be better off with it than you, because you got a bunch of stuff in your house, they have nothing. How many of you would be thinking something to this effect? Uh, that's very noble and all, but uh, you just stole from my house. How many of you would be thinking that? Oh yeah, I, your, your, your intentions are very kind, but that does not negate the fact that you just took something without permission that I owned and used it for your own purposes. In the world that I come from, we call that stealing. Am I right for having taken that without even asking you, even though I meant to do something good with it? Was I right for doing that or was I wrong? Was I wrong? Are you sure? So you mean to tell me that even when you have good intentions, taking something that somebody else owns and using it for your own purposes, that is still stealing. The Bible says, don't you know that your body is the temple of God and you are not your own? And you have been bought. Someone has ownership of your body. So let me ask you something. Are you allowed to dress it any way you want without talking to the owner? Are you, hey, I'm just, I'm, I like reasoning. Come now, let's reason together. Are you allowed to just take what somebody else owns and dress it how you want without even consulting the owner? Even though you might have good intentions? That's wrong, isn't it? Now listen, in these times of ignorance, God winks at it. So this is not a condemnation. Remember we said a long time ago, in ministry, we don't have a ministry of condemnation. We have a ministry of education. Remember that? So that's all we're given today is education. I am not giving condemnation. You are not condemned. That's really what the Bible says. God says in our times of ignorance, he overlooks these things. He doesn't hold us accountable to this. But he does say, but now that you know, he says, I call every man, every, everyone to repent. That's Acts 17, verse 30. You can read it. So what God is saying is, is that if we really believe in live by the word, if we really believe that, it's going to affect some of the most basic areas of our lives. Does God give counsel on how to eat and drink? Yes, so now we got to go to the word and make sure he's okay with it before we just ingest it. Does God talk about entertainment, what we should entertain ourselves with and what we should not? Of course. So now, instead of just going and just going with how we feel about the entertainment, we're going to go to the Word, and we're going to say, Lord, what do you say is good entertainment versus what's unhealthy entertainment? Living by the Word. And again, when we do this, God says it saves you from a thousand perils. So the first lesson on faith is we must learn to trust that word. If the word of God disqualifies a woman you're interested in, she's disqualified. And she does not enter your life until she's qualified. If you meet a man and he seems like such a great and nice person, he must be tested by the word. If you're married, and you have discovered that your husband or your wife is not one who is patterning their lives after the word of God, too late. Too late. I don't even want to hear anything about 
yeah, I'm thinking we should leave each other. It's like, nah, you ain't going nowhere because you want God's blessings. Not because you want God's blessings. If you want God's blessings, you can't go anywhere. You know what you need to do? You need to make the best of it. Let's talk about making the best of it. Seriously, that's what we do. It, seriously, Inspiration, Adventist Home, page 106. It says very clearly we are not to entertain if we've made a mistake after you marry. Don't even entertain the thought. You know, oh, man, I must have made it. Listen, it don't matter because if you made a mistake, you still got to live with her. Even if you made a mistake, you still got to live with her. So you know what? Make the best of it. And the reason why is because God is the master at taking foul beginnings and turning it into beautiful endings. God is the master of that. So even when we can say, oh, Lord, I made a mistake, God says, well, let's not dwell on that because you're already in. But what he does say is, hey, let's make the best of it. Let me show you how we can turn this hell on earth into heaven on earth. God says, I can do that. He's the master of doing it. But the key is living by that word. You see, God wants us to understand you can trust my words. You can trust my words. You know, I remember when somebody died and I really wanted them to live. I really wanted them to live. I actually believed they were going to live. I was very shocked when they died. And I remember that when they died, I said, Lord, why? And you know what God gave me? He gave me his word. Can I show you it? Go to Psalm 145. Here's the word that God gave me when I really wanted somebody to live, but they died. And I know you relate to this because if there's one thing we have in common is loving somebody and caring for somebody who sooner or later was dying and maybe they even died. One of the number one reasons why we have atheists today is because of a disappointment. You know, somebody that they said, oh, Lord, if you let this person live, I'll I'll surrender my life to you. And then all of a sudden that person died. And then here it is that, you know, now. We, we cast out God because you disappointed me. But here's something we don't understand. Psalm 145 and verse 17. In Psalm 145 and verse 17, this is the word that God gave me, and I must learn to live by this word, and you do too. The Bible says the Lord is righteous in how many ways? In all his ways and holy in all his works. You know, if you take the E-O-U-S out of righteous, what do we have? We have right. You see, when we go to God, Lord, please let blank live. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever's right by this individual. And for some people, what was right was for them to rest. I'll be honest with you. I miss my mom and I miss my dad. I miss them terribly, but I have the hope of the resurrection morning. And I'm telling you the truth, I don't want them alive. When I consider the way that they were living and the times in which we're living in, I'm glad that they are sleeping. Because the way I see our world, it's getting really bad. And it's getting really hard. And I understand some of us may not even relate to that. Don't worry, you will, soon enough. Soon enough, the days of roses, beds of roses and all that stuff. I'm serious. I, I sat with a family not long ago and they said, we've hardly had any real trials in our lives. And I was just like, well, hang in there. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. And so if they haven't gone through that yet, it's coming. 
But the bottom line is, is that it thought God did what was right. You see, in the mind of God, when we talk about, Lord, let him live, let him die, God says, what is for my glory and what is for their best? That's how God decides who lives and who dies. What is for my glory and what is for their best? And when we can't see the end result of that choice that God makes, he says, just trust my word that I did what was right by them. And the more that we believe that, the easier it is. Amen? Let's go ahead and bring it to a close here. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. We can trust his word. He's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God says, I make my, God says, I make my word good. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to make it good. You're going to see that you can trust my words. But not only that, lesson number two, on faith, Matthew 26 and verse 39. What do we learn here? Jesus said, and he went a little further and fell on his face. Now you have to understand, Jesus is sweating, as it were, drops of blood because of the pressure that this is having on him. And so the Bible says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, what does Jesus want? Let the cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. Do you think that feeling that Jesus was going through was intense? It was very intense. But how does he close? He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. All right. So looking at that story, that little point in this story, we learn this lesson on faith. Faith is trusting and yielding to the word of God even when your deepest feelings goes against it. There are going to be times that God is going to say, live by my word. And your deepest, most intense, most earnest feelings are not going to be in harmony with what God says. Jesus is our example. That's why that story of Gethsemane was written. There are going to be times, family, that we are going to feel so contrary to the word of God. We're going to, everything in us says, no, Lord, I want to go this way. I want to do this thing. I want to address it in this fashion. And God is going to say, I know, I understand. Nobody has faced temptation like me. I know what you're feeling right now in principle. And Jesus says, submit to my word. Trust me. Trust me. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, you, do, you see, do you see as we're going through the study, do you see how some of us have taken for granted this idea of living by the word? We, 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 took, it, we took it for granted. We didn't, we didn't think it through. And that's why earlier this week I said, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people? We just had a powerful study last week on urgency. What do you want me to say? And God was like, well, if we're going to start really acting on things and not procrastinating, give them my word. Show them that this is what I want them to act on. This is what I want them to have a greater urgency for, is to live according to my word, to really live. That's why I told Brother Danny, I said, when you put the title up, put L-I-V-E in capitals. Because that's the point Jesus has been trying to make from day one. Family, I'm telling you, our problems would be solved with super hyper simplicity if we would learn to submit to the word of God. 
If we just said, all right, we have a problem, let's go to the Word to find the solution. It's not that the Word of God is lacking. The Word of God is abundant with solutions for everyday life choices. There's not a choice you can bring to me that the Word of God does not have an answer for it, that, cannot, that God cannot give us guidance and let us know, here's what you should do in this situation. But it's going to require trusting, isn't it? I'm not going to go through this because it's a lot of verses. But the story of Romans 4 is the story of Abraham. And it makes a profound statement in this story that Abraham got to a place that he had to hope against hope. The further verses explains it when God says, I want you to be ready to have a child, even though you're way up there in age, and I'm going to take your wife's dead womb and I'm going to put life in it. And Abraham had to look forward and hope for the impossible. When you get a chance, you read it in your private time. But what is the lesson that we get from this? It's very simple. Faith is trusting the word or promises of God when the circumstance seems impossible or hopeless. You got word. You see, as long as you got word, you're good. As long as you have the word of God supporting that point, you have hope, even if it looks hopeless. I can't tell you how many people have gotten healed from their sicknesses and their diseases. All sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm standing before you. They, they told me, I, I appreciate how God could use my body to mock humanity. When my wife and I, when I found out I had this, this heart problem with my valve, I remember, and I still have the paper to date, and I was sent to the top cardiologist at this prestigious hospital, of which I won't say the name of it. And the top cardiologist, my, my surgeon had, had the hookups. He, he got me connected with all the, the top people there. And we had the top guy, look at my heart, top cardiologist. And you know what he said? He wrote on that paper, my wife knows, she was a witness to it. He wrote, valve irreparable. He wrote that based off of his expertise. He said, valve irreparable, this valve cannot be repaired. Went to my surgeon and my surgeon said, Dwayne, not only do you have a problem with your mitral valve, you have a problem with your aortic valve. He said, I cannot repair this. And he said, and I will not, and put his hands like that, and lean back. I remember looking at my wife, and my wife was looking at me because she knew that I was perplexed. Because every providence showed that God sent me to this man for a valve repair. And do you know it was my son Jared, the one who plays the piano, it was my son Jared that had greater faith than I did. The night before my son prayed, he said, Father, you sent us here for a repair. And he said, and so let that be done. I remember Jared's prayer, boy. That boy moved my heart. I mean, that was like, wow. So when the surgeon said that, I remember that I told him a few things, and I told him a story. I said, sir, I said, there was a man who went to London, went to bed, and I said, and his heart just stopped, and he didn't get oxygen to his brain for over 30 minutes. What's the prognosis? He was like dead. 
dead, dead, dead. I said, I agree. He will be here on the day of my surgery in sound mind and sound body. His name is Thomas Jackson. Thomas Jackson did not get oxygen to his brain for over 30 minutes. And his situation, his prognosis was impossible. There's no way he's going to live. This man right now is teaching missionaries the everlasting gospel over at Meat Ministry. Well, here it is that I told Dr. Wong, I said, if God can do the impossible with him, why can't God use you to do what's impossible with my heart? He looked down on the ground and he looked at the screen with my heart on it. He looked down again and his wife said, you can do it, honey. <laughs> Praise God for wise women. And do you know that man said, let's do it. And, he, and there was a time he said, Dwayne, I don't have your faith. I said, that's all right. I said, you lean on my faith until you develop your own. I said, Dr. Wong, God called you to do this surgery for me. You just give me your best, you leave the rest with God. And I went into a five and a half hour open heart surgery. This year will make year six. Amen. Do you know, not only was my valve repaired, but do you know another impossibility in cardiology? Valves don't go backwards. In other words, you don't have a moderate regurgitation that goes back to mild and then goes back to trivial. It's either moderate, and it either stays moderate, or it gets worse. Do you know I just had my echo report uh, a couple of months ago? Post-surgery, my valve was moderate. A couple of years later, it went back to mild. The last echo I just got two months ago, they said, Mr. Lemon, your valve is trace. It moved backwards. Faith is trusting the word of God only and his promises. It is doing it when the circumstance seems impossible and seems hopeless. And God wants us to understand there's nothing too hard for him. You see, once you come to God with an attitude, Lord, whatever is right, that's what I want you to do with me today. If my heart gets worse, that's because it was right. If my heart gets better, it's because it was right. But you're the supervisor of my heart. And guess what? He's not just the supervisor of our heart. He's a supervisor of our lives. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of us in this room, he's saying, I want you to learn to trust my words. And I want you to live by it. I had more to give, but I'll stop here. Question, how many of us understood the study? Did we understand the study? My appeal is if you know that you have not been living, I mean really allowing the teachings contained in these 66 books, if you can honestly say, Lord, I, I, I have not sought to understand what this says in every area of what conducts my lifestyle. But from this day forward, I'm willing to do it. And I'm asking you, please don't stand if you don't mean it. Because this is not a time for acting. This is not a time to give profession. This is a time for confession. This is a time for really being able to say, Lord, I will make a public declaration. 
And one of the things about being public about things is you're allowing people to hold you accountable. How many of us in this room are really willing to say, Lord, I, I have not allowed your words to conduct the choices of my life. From this day forward, by your grace, I choose to do it. If that's you, I'm asking you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. If that's you, please stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you because we need prayer. It's a very serious decision. It's a very serious decision. Jesus is worthy. He's so worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our faithfulness. And the first thing that the word of God says to each of us is he says that I want you to surrender your heart to me. Jesus says I want you to, to choose to be a Christian in your heart. And if there's even one person in this room that has never made that choice before, you've never chosen to allow your life to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're willing to say, today I'm choosing to do that. Because we really aren't promised tomorrow. If there's even one person under the sound of my voice, honestly, that says, I've never, I've never truly allowed Jesus to have complete dominion over my life. In other words, the devil's been dominating you because you've never submitted to God. If there's anybody in this room that says, yeah, that's me. I just want to pray for you. Is there somebody here that says, yep, that's me? I've never done that before. Amen. God bless you. Is there anybody else that says, Lord, I, I have never truly submitted my life to you, and I want to do that today? This is a new day, family. It's a beautiful thing to watch how God is working. I sat with some beautiful people here this morning for a baptismal class, and man, my heart rejoices over this, just to watch what God is still doing even in such a late time in Earth's history as 2022. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else who says, you know what, I've never allowed God to have full dominion over my life. Today I want him to have that. Is there anybody else? I just want to make sure that I don't pass anyone else by. Yeah? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for that one precious soul, Lord, who says, yes, I've never allowed you to have full dominion. But today is a new day. I pray that you might bless your child, Lord God, above and beyond measure, and that her heart will come to know you as it is her privilege to know you. Lord, I thank you for everyone who took their stand and recognized that we have not allowed your words to be the guide of our life, the instruction manual for how to live. But Lord, there's so many blessings, so many things that you desire to give to us, and I pray that as you teach us how to test even our lifestyle choices by your word. May we experience blessings that are beyond our expectations. May your name be glorified and may we be edified as our prayer. For we do ask it all, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.